my name is Elizabeth. I just want you to know I never listen to I Doubt It with Jesse Dollamore because he reminds me of Sarah Limbaugh, and I don't like him. Bye. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. Show. Thank you for joining us, episode 395 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, seated across from me. Lovely, talented, scholarly, co-hosty, Brittany Page. So I was trolling some comments. <laughs> that, that's how we're going to start? Yeah. <laughs> We should just do it. I need to say, in the spirit of full disclosure... Yeah. Not really full disclosure, Are you giving a trigger warning? No, we could start every episode that way. Oh, yeah. I was trolling some comments. Yes. <laughs> I do that quite often. It does seem to be kind of a part-time job. Well, I like to know how the people are feeling. For bre- <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah. Getting in touch with the, with the folks. Exactly. <laughs> So I well, like what are these comments about? Well, I like the Guardian on Facebook, and so sometimes the news articles pop up into my feed. Yeah. And they have an advice column, apparently, like many of these websites do. And I tend to read them when they wow. have them. Although I will say I did not click on this article. I just read the headline and the little note that the Guardian put, and then I read the comments. So here's the headline. My boyfriend has difficulty climaxing. Is it because he masturbates too much? We we're two minutes and 20 seconds in Mm -hmm. and we're already my my boyfriend Uh has trouble climaxing. Yeah. Is it because he masturbates too much? Hmm. And then this is the excerpt that the Guardian chose to highlight. First of all. Well, just wait. Just wait. is, Is it? Can you masturbate? Too much. Well, we're going to get to the people's advice, and then you're going to see. All right. This is the part of the article The Guardian chose to highlight. I have been with my boyfriend for a while, and we have had plenty of sex, but he has a hard time finishing. He says he is very close to ejaculating, but just can't. He often says that he used to masturbate very regularly and thinks that he may have become desensitized. What can I do to help? Okay, so the doctors on Facebook decided to all comment on the article and give their own advice. The doctors. Yes. <laughs> the random doctors mm-hmm. who are dispensing medical advice, professional medical advice. Correct. <laughs> via Facebook. Now, at the time <laughs> I was reading the articles, this was the top comment, meaning that it had the most reactions. Okay. And some of them are sad reactions because it's quite sad. <laughs> the com the, to his to this comment. Yes. Okay. Deep inside, he does not want. Are you ready to hear the answer? If I am fascinated by a girl, I want to fill her with my sperm. Oh God! Just the word sperm. If it is just a playful sex with a lady, <laughs> I enjoy just the act, which doesn't end up with something which I am not ready for. 
pregnancy. I don't come. I stay hard for hours and I like it that way. <laughs> I don't have any idea what's happening in this comment. <laughs> number happening? one. Um, number two, here's what concerns me about people writing these kinds of things is this guy's name is right here. I see his yeah. picture. He has a yeah. picture right of his face, right of his mug right there. And they just are talking about filling yeah. ladies yes. with sperm. And I can click on his profile. I can go see where he lives, where he works. Probably I didn't yeah, do that, but yeah. oh, probably. Sure, you didn't. Yeah, <laughs> I, I really didn't. But okay, this is this is another one. Yes, it is. So she's saying in response to the headline, um, "Is it because he masturbates too much?" Yes, it is. Often when men masturbate, their grip is very tight and they go very fast. <laughs> this <happening>? sensation can't <laughs> be replicated by a vagina, so they can't ejaculate. If he can refrain from masturbating for a while, his penis should reset. <laughs> reset. And, and he will be able Seriously. to ejaculate during sex. It's like Control-Alt-Delete. That's all you do is just not watch <laughs> porn for a while and don't touch your dick. If the masturbating comes with porn, it may be useful to to refrain from that for a while too he just needs to retrain his penis to vagina mode <laughs> vagina instead mode. of hand mode hand mode and then she oh she put a little footnote here those about are two too much of my, those are two of my favorite modes by the way yeah me too <laughs> so anyway that's the comments that that i i found and i i thought it was entertaining and since we've been talking about um the public <laughs> commenting on scientific issues um, that they might not know about and being experts. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was fitting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> people are, people are the worst. I mean, they're trying to be helpful, I guess we should just be, they're trying, they're trying to be helpful. It's a lot like that aunt of yours that used to, to leave messages on like Fannie Mae chocolates mm -hmm. where that's an article Written in the Guardian that they just post to the Facebook page. They're not like crowdsourcing for advice. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, people, this they feel that they've got so much good information inside of them. Mm -hmm. They not only want to fill women with sperm, they want to fill them with their good advice. Yeah. It's, it's a bit much. It's a bit much. There's a lot about that that's a bit much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, you know, vagina mode. At least we come away with... Vagina mode. Yeah. Just got to switch out a hand mode to vagina mode. <laughs> then you're good. Problem solved. Problem. Problem solved. Mm -hmm. So shall we move on into this next foray of the show? I think we can, yes. Round. Is this round three? Talking about Sam Harris. And uh, yeah, this would be round three. Yeah. So I, I do want to say, though, because I think that many people probably don't care about this and are unhappy that we're spending another um, amount of time, however long the amount of time will be, um, that it's kind of important, I guess. So, uh, well, we've obviously struck a nerve. We've got a lot of communication here about it. Uh -huh. So. Um, and we've driven away Patreon supporters. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, we, we've pissed enough people off that now there's there's a, I don't want to say significant amount, but a significant amount of, 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 of dollars that we need to somehow make up mm -hmm. in the way of Patreon. Mm -hmm. Because the tone of the show has changed. That's an, that's a, that's a, 
exit a, survey. Yeah, a comment that we received that the tone of the the show has changed, which I think is interesting because I will say that the last episode was probably pretty tense. Pretty heavy. Okay, pretty yeah. heavy. Um we have a history with Mark that I think people also don't know about. So I've gotten it into into it with him personally um, on Facebook. And he like wanted to have a tragedy off with me because he said that because he's older than me, he has more life experience. He's like, oh, yeah, tell me what you've been through. And I'm like, here's a list. <laughs> well, well, not only that, um, <laughs> but I, I have affection for Mark. I, I, and I know no, you we do, too. we do have yeah. a playful relationship. Yeah. He, he messaged us and after the, the he listened to the episode and said that he was writing a response and he loves us and whatever so it, you don't you can't whatever his love for us and whatever well no i'm just i'm, I'm trying to illustrate that even if yeah. it is sounding contentious that it's okay yeah for and sure. and i don't know why people would be afraid of that um the, these are complicated issues they are issues that bring up a lot of feelings as you will hear from the callers and I, I don't think that anyone should be afraid of engaging in tough discussions like this um, and even getting maybe a little angry when you're disagreeing. I yeah. think that's OK. Um, so the tone of the show has changed. I don't agree with that. Um could we have probably been nicer in the moment to Mark? <laughs> probably. But we're going to play another voicemail from him and we'll see how I do this time. <laughs> um, so. <laughs> wow. Well, can I also say this? That, li- listen, I'm the guy who's fiery and screams and yells and gets pissed off. And he says what he's thinking immediately in the moment. And that's great for everybody. Until I start treading onto territory that is a little sensitive for people, for them, that, that they're, they're, they're a particular thing. Mm-hmm. It's fine if I scream and yell and, am, and, and uh, uh, am aggressive about Donald Trump or police brutality or whatever the issue is or the person, whoever they might be. But if I hedge into criticizing Sam Harris, people are, you know, not supporting the show anymore leaving exit surveys that the tone of the show has changed. The tone hasn't changed. It's just I touched a nerve with something that you happen to be into. Mm-hmm. So, look, I-, I don't want to offend the audience. I-, I love our audience. When I talk about loving and appreciating and being so thankful that we've built this thing together, mm-hmm. that's that's real. But I'm not going to dial down for fear that, you know, we're going to lose droves of Patreon supporters mm-hmm. because I want to be true to the show, the mission of the show, and somehow also true to myself. Well, and the mission of the show isn't sit around and talk about how Donald Trump supporters are idiots. That's not the mission of the show. That sometimes happens on the show, and I think that a lot of people like that, but there's going to be times where we have takes that you disagree with. and right. That is totally fine. And I, I listen to podcasts where <laughs> I disagree with people. There's one out there where one of the co-hosts, I think, is exactly the opposite of me in every personality trait and every opinion <laughs> that exists on the world in the world. And I still listen to it every week because it's good for me. And so I, I think that it feels uncomfortable in the moment, especially when you're being challenged directly or yeah. someone is saying something that you really disagree with. It feels bad. But if we can learn to maybe sit with that and be okay with it and learn to push back on it, 
you know, I think that's good. I think also, that's healthy. If you don't agree, fire up your cell phone and either call in or or fire off an email or fire off a voice memo. Let me know how I'm fucking wrong. Well, then they're probably scared we're going to be mad at them like <laughs> like we That's reacted okay. to Mark. <laughs> well, they, they don't have to come at me with some kind of a civil tone. Uh, you think I'm not going to play it because you disagree or you call me a no, cunt or I'm whatever? Ta- no, I'm talking about our tone with Mark. Yeah, yeah, but uh, they could match tone. They could come back just as hard. Okay. Well, that's, I'm I'm trying to address that maybe people were unhappy with oh, our tone yeah. about with to Mark. Well, that's you know. But here's the thing: Mark wasn't unhappy with the tone. So if Mark wasn't unhappy with the tone, don't take up for Mark. He's fine. Right. <laughs> so there are there are this struck such a nerve that everybody who called in crossed over the three minute threshold. We're not going to play all the voicemails, but there are a few here that I want to play. So let's just, let's play, uh, um, you know, two or three of these voicemails and, um, and then get into it. Then we'll, we'll, we'll also play, play Mark's, um, response as well. So here we go. Hi, Jesse. Hi, Brittany. This is Christopher calling in real quick. Um, I'm calling because of the voicemail left by Mark. Um, I thought it was a very interesting conversation that he wanted to kind of delve into to move the conversation forward. So I figure I move the conversation forward with my own kind of two cents on it and kind of my own mindset and thoughts on a couple of things he pointed out. Uh, the only one that I really wanted to touch on was specifically was the bell curve. Um, there is a lot of problems with the bell curve specifically in statistical evidence. Um, you know, it's it, it, it was discussed when I was in high school, uh, you know, when it came out in 1994 as the book. Uh, you know, kind of navigate towards that conversation. So um, I know that there's a lot of information revolving around genetics, whether or not it has a supporting argument around blacks, but there's also far more evidence to support that environment has more of an impact on IQ or even statistical data revolving around uh, environments that influence individuals uh, uh, more so than genetics could possibly do. And not only that, but genetics virtually are useless Without a safe environment, you cannot use your genetic skill set in your IQ, whatever test, um, if you don't have a safe environment. Um, there's also the questionability whether or not IQ tests are uh, effective due to cultural differences in society, because there are cultural differences versus how Manhattan works versus how uh, Texas works. You know, there are two different environments, state to state. So. Genetic, you know, for to to put that onto genetics is is in whether or not IQ testing is is valid is still questionable to this day. Um, you know, obviously IQs don't really value doesn't equate to someone's individual value, and it makes me wonder. Uh, what it sounds like a lot to me is that a lot of right wing um, commentary likes to focus on this because it kind of. Uh, focuses on whether or not social services are a waste of of uh, of money because if these individuals, these black individuals, are not going to have as high a high IQ anyways, is there any value to actually you know putting investments into these social services, which is straight up racist? There's no other way to describe that. Um, the research also does tend to fail to explain its intended purpose for why the research even existed in the first place. Um, you know, it, it seems to 
kind of endorse prejudice by value of what it does not say. It never addresses a reason for the investigation uh, of these racial differences in IQ. Uh, and it's kind of an unspoken conclusion that they kind of come to as well as it conveniently leaves out what its, you know, conclusion is. So, you know, even if it provides sound statistics, it leaves no conclusion at the end of his research. Uh, yeah. Kind of a, a great place for him to get cut off on the three-minute mark. There you go. Uh, there is a question. I mean, this this is interesting. Uh, I mean, because they're talking about IQ here. And IQ is, you know, whatever it is, it doesn't really speak to exactly what intelligence is. Intelligence isn't this one-dimensional thing that can be just measured with with a number. There's all kinds of layers to, to intelligence, what it means, how someone is intelligent in my way and not in, in and I'm not in their way. It doesn't it you know you know what I mean? Yeah, so that's one of the criticisms of the research. But again, the research is focusing on the specific like IQ testing. So it's within yeah. the way that IQ has been defined in this particular way. That that's what they're saying. Yeah. So thank you, Chris, for the call. What I'm, I was going to play everybody's first and second parts. I'm not going to do that. The three minutes is three minutes. Let's come on, people. I'm going to enforce <laughs> the rules here. Um, let's move on again. Thank you, Chris. We appreciate the call. We appreciate your perspective uh, very much. Um, here's Nathan, Colorado. Hey, Jesse and Brittany. It's Nathan in Denver, Colorado. Uh, it's been a while since I called in. So first, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone and their support after the Charlottesville uh, for my wife, Michelle, and I. Uh, and then I'm going to go ahead and weigh in on uh, this Sam Harris thing, try and uh, keep my emotions in check here, uh, especially regarding um, Mark the Mailman's uh, defense, I guess you would call it, of Sam Harris. Um <laughs> so this whole thing with the the bell curve and the IQ is just ridiculous. Uh, I've worked in inner city schools. I've seen the disparaging gap between what minorities get for an education and what white people get for an education. And that attributes largely to this quote-unquote lesser intelligence uh, IQ rating. Um, if they had access to the same education, if it wasn't a systemic problem, you would see a lot more uh, black people and minorities with higher intelligence and higher IQs. Um, it's not that they aren't capable. It's not that they're genetically inferior. It's that they are part of a system that does not allow for them to succeed in the same way that white people do. A uh, couple of examples of outstanding black people for Mark the Mailman. Uh, my wife, Michelle, is far more intelligent than I am, and her sister is one of the greatest doctors that I have ever met. She is only 24 and already has her doctorate. Furthermore, uh, if those personal examples don't hold any water, look at our former president. Look at his wife. Look at Martin Luther King. Look at uh, Malcolm X, look at these people in the past that have done tremendous things and have tremendous intelligence and social awareness 
it is not an issue of IQ. It is not an issue of, well, did you read the facts? These are the facts. They're not the facts. The facts are that for as long as black people have lived in this country, there has been systemic racism against them that chooses to harm them in their success, in their ability to learn, in their ability to succeed, in their ability to get ahead in life. And, you know, going into the whole Black Lives Matter thing that you guys discussed after the whole IQ thing, um, it is not, as Sam Harris put it, a, uh, a harm to their cause and sending them back. Because the same thing was said about Martin Luther King. The same thing was said about Malcolm X. Again, perfect spot to cut it off. Wow. Um, Nathan is falling into a trap here. I think he is. It's one of those deals where you get emotional, Mm -hmm. you get fired up about it, and then you you let your argument kind of run astray. And the bell curve, Sam Harris, really nobody of any credit at all, is saying that every single white person is smarter than every single black person. Right. Um, That is not what's being said. Mm -hmm. And um, although I know it is an emotionally charged issue, especially when you're so close to it. Right. Um, But that's that's not what they're saying. Mm -hmm. It's the averages. When you have a group of tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people and you average their IQs and then the, the other mm-hmm. group. Mm-hmm. So, because Donald um, Trump is in there too. So that, that's right. That's um, right. You also have the dumb white people well, it, that it, are in the average. It <laughs> would be equally illogical for me to say, "Well, that's not true," because look at all these dumb white people. Mm-hmm. Kind of like what you just said. Mm-hmm. It, it would be equally ineffective as an argument. But I listen. I get being fired up about it. It's. Um, because the numbers are as they are, as a whole, it really, it, it bestows a responsibility on the rest of us to do something to bring those numbers up. And over the course of the last, since this research has been done, um, the gap between, which is about, like you said, one standard deviation mm-hmm. has been cut in half mm-hmm. in, in that de- deficit in, mm-hmm. in, uh, the, the differences between the means. Mm-hmm. So thanks, Nathan. We appreciate it very much. Next up, Thomas, Kansas. Hey, Jesse, Brittany. This is uh, Thomas in Kansas again. Um, I just finished listening to your last episode when you guys were talking about Sam Harris. Let me go ahead and and say that if you choose not to use this phone call, it's completely up to you. But it's something that's bothering me. Um, And first and foremost, I've never been a follower of Sam Harris. I've never liked Sam Harris. I don't like his face. He always reminds me of the guy who passes gas in a, in a elevator and then looks smug about it. I, I don't like his face. I've never liked his face. I've never liked his politics. I've always, as an atheist, I've never looked at him as, as a hero. But something that you got, the clip that you guys played where he was talking about Black Lives Matter, um, completely set me off. And, you know, I listened to the part about Ted Nugent and, and Mr. Pags or Bags or whatever his name is. Um, that's a whole other phone call. But something Sam Harris said got me to thinking. And I could go in and on protests about gun violence and uh, the the, uh, the kids in Parkland for days. I could go in on that. But I'm going to just focus on this idea of Black Lives Matter and what Sam Harris was saying and how, you know, how bad he thinks they are. 
Can somebody in the position of owning guns or loving the police or whatever, can somebody explain to me a 46-year-old black man who has been the victim of, of police brutality when I was 13, I was the victim of police brutality when I was 11, okay, can somebody explain to me um, all these the Sam Harris's of the world, all the way down to those MAGA hat wearing idiots who love them some police, but they're arming themselves against the tyranny of government. Explain to me what is the proper way for somebody to protest something in this country. Black Lives Matter has never killed anybody, and yet Tommy Lahren has equated them to the, the Ku Klux Klan, which is ridiculous. What is the proper way to protest in this country? When Kaepernick and other football players took a knee, the president called them sons of bitches. When Black Lives Matter held up, uh, um, protested police brutality by shutting down traffic, well, you're inconveniencing us. You're not making your, 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 your statement right. And you get, what is the proper way to protest? Because at this point, I'm kind of getting really sick and tired of this country and the way we demonize people who protest things, such as police brutality, such as gun violence in school shootings. There's always, they're saying, well, this isn't the right time, or this isn't the right way. What is the proper way to And cut off. Um... I think I, it's a very valid question. Yeah, I want to um, reference some um, Gallup polling, which I, I think everyone should have this just saved on their phone or in their email as um, something to reference in the future. But um, Gallup published some polling from 1961 about the Freedom Riders, and they um, asked a uh, adult sample of 1500 people do you approve or disapprove of what the freedom riders are doing and 22 percent approved 61 percent disapproved the freedom riders um back in the 60s when there was the, right in the in the mix of fighting for civil rights the black um the black uh civil rights movement th was the freedom riders mm -hmm. and um, they would along with the Congress of Racial Equality and, and all these other groups. Um, go ahead. And yeah. they they would take buses into segregated areas. That's right. Um, and kind of take care of biz. So a movement we look back at now very fondly mm -hmm. as instrumental right. in 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 bringing about social change and social justice um, in this country. Right. We look at it as it's just a done deal. Like, oh, it's right. great. The, right. These people were venerable. And majority of people believe that. Vast majority. Right. I, I bet you it's flipped. Mm -hmm. And and uh, then it was looked upon as tw only 22% approved of it. Right. And then they also asked, do you think sit-ins at lunch counters, freedom buses, and other demonstrations hurt or help black people's chances of being integrated into the South? And fifty-seven percent hurt. Hurt, right? Right. This probably very similar percentages to what people think about Black Lives Matter now. Mm -hmm. White people think about Black Lives Matter now. And then I have another one here from October nineteen sixty-six, and this was white people responding only. 
Okay. All in all, do you feel the demonstrations by blacks on civil rights have helped or hurt more in the advancement of black rights? Would you like to guess? 85% hurts. Right. Okay. That the demonstrations, that taking to the streets, trying to advance for your rights, 85% right. in 1966 said that it hurts their cause. So this is kind of just the nature of this, which yeah. is really disturbing. And you think that rational people <laughs> would look at this and say, huh, I wonder if I'm having a knee-jerk reaction. Yeah. And this is just common throughout history that like, I don't accept this for whatever reason. And I'm going to take a minute and I'm going to think about why I'm having that reaction Listen, to often, protesting. Oftentimes it takes balls to be on the right side of history. It's difficult to be on the right side of history sometimes because you're against the majority. Right. So Sam Harris in 1961 or whenever that poll was taken, mm -hmm. he would have been one of those because he's still today one of those. Oh, it's hurting the cause. It's a black soul. Ugh. Just come on. Mm -hmm. Stand up and be a humanist. Not just to Sam Harris, everybody out there. Mm -hmm. Care about your fellow men and women, right? your fellow brothers and sisters on this planet yeah. to support their equality, yeah. equity for their group, just because it, it doesn't affect you specifically. And the reason I say keep this with you is because you can probably, you know, send it to someone, comment it um, on Facebook when someone is being resistant to this and maybe they will think, huh? How would I have felt yeah. about this in the 60s and am I being irrational right now? I mean, I don't I don't know. Those right? numbers are stark. <laughs> um, Those numbers are they paint a picture that yeah. isn't hard to follow. Yeah, because he's he's bringing up a great point, which is people are just resistant to protests, period. Right. And there's always going to be this, oh, it should be done this way, it should be done this way. Well, whatever. Even the march on Washington where Dr. Martin Luther King gave his his I have a dream speech was looked upon poorly by the majority of white people. Mm -hmm. Only years later is it, oh my God, what a seminal moment in the history of the United States. Justifiably, people think that now. Well, then it, it, people were bombed about it. Even people's opinion of Martin Luther King Jr. changed just as of him right. as a man. Yeah. Um, and I think this is, yeah, this is also from Gallup. And in May 1963, 25% felt highly unfavorable about wow. him, just their opinion about him. And in August 2011, that was 1%, right? I bet you Richard and Spencer has higher approval numbers, disapproval. You know what I mean? I bet you more people... Fewer people think high, as highly uh, negatively about him than they did of Martin Luther King in 1963. Yeah. So his his total favorability rating in May 1963 was 41%. Total unfavorable was 37%. Wow. In 2011, total favorable, 94%. Total unfavorable, 4%. Yeah, And part of that, too, is kind of this whitewashing of his legacy of making him into this very 
um, peaceful. He di- he didn't want to make waves. Um, kind of changing what he actually stood for and what his legacy was. It wasn't about not making waves. Right. He was, was making non- waves. Was nonviolent, but it was certainly we're going to be causing problems. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> now people look back on it and say, oh, why can't they just wait and, and just be patient like Martin Luther King Jr.? Don't block the lanes of traffic. Blah. Yeah, there wasn't waiting. There wasn't being patient. There was calls to action. Right. And there was action. Freedom now. Equality now. Right. Equity now. Equal justice under the Constitution right fucking now. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody, for your calls. Let's get on to Mark's response. It's Mark. Um, just wanted to respond to you guys responding to my initial voicemail. Um, I've tried this now a few times to, to get this under three minutes, and it's just impossible. So I'm going to have to keep it to just a couple topics which is kind of unfair. I mean, you guys get like 45 minutes to discuss my three-minute voicemail, but whatever. So unfair. It's your show. Fuck you. <laughs> um, no, seriously, though, I love you guys. I appreciate it that you even play my voicemail. So I, don't, I don't know. It's, it's flattering in, in some way, and I do appreciate it. Let me just make some corrections right off the top, though, uh, as far as what I said goes. So Jesse did not, in fact say that he left the atheist community because of Sam Harris. That's my bad. Um, as far as Dave Rubin goes and Jordan Peterson, fuck those guys. I don't like either of them. I don't think they, I don't think they contribute much at all to the discussion that, that, that we're all having at this moment, uh, thinking out loud, as you say, which I like. Um, but let's get into the bell curve because I probably have like a minute left. So, Brittany seems to be preoccupied with this question. Why do this IQ research at nope. all? Nope, nope, you know, nope. Why did nope. Charles Murray yep. and his co-author write nope, the book? Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> you got to warn me when you want me to stop shit. So, buddy, <laughs> buddy, I'm waving my finger. <laughs> That's not my question. Um, that was not my question. So um, I commented on how you called in. And you said in your very smug tone of voice that the difference just exists and it just is. And if you don't like it, you can go do your decades long research and and figure out something else. Okay, that's what you said. And my point in asking the question is, what is the value in discussing that? Meaning, what is the implication for that? What is the reason behind you calling in and saying that and like continuing to advance that talking point? Um, and it's not just you. It's Sam Harris's followers, right, that are also doing this in the Twitter replies. They they want people to like hear it and they want people to know it. And they don't seem to have a reason behind why they're so obsessed with talking about it. Um why they're wanting to mix it up with people on this issue. I'm not asking why did Charles Murray do this research? Why are geneticists looking into group differences? I'm not asking that question. I'm asking you the question of what's the value in you calling and telling us about the finding and emphasizing it. Does that make sense? Yes. 
curve. And why does Sam Harris care? Well, that's like... It's like asking why do research on anything. Okay? It's just silly, Brittany. So even if I was asking the question, why why do this research in the first place? It actually wouldn't be like asking why do research about anything because anytime someone proposes a research project, they need to have a solid foundation on which they build that research project. What what are they what are they looking for? What will it build upon? What would the implications be, right, for their proposed study, um, for the likely findings that they would have? This is the process you go through when you propose a thesis or a dissertation, right? When you create a research project, that's what you do. So while I wasn't asking that question, if I did ask that question, it would have a very specific answer and it wouldn't be, well, why does anyone do any kind of research? It would actually be a very specific answer. Um, but what they determined was that um, IQ is heritable, 50 to 80 percent heritable. So it's not just a black-white issue, you see. Um, basically, dumbass white parents are likely going to create dumbass white kids. The, the point of the research is not to say, look at how smart white people are. No, there's actually more variance in, uh, between two people of the same race than there is between two people of different races. Um, They go out of their way in the podcast to stress this fact. They go out of their way to stress the fact that that there are environmental factors at play, socioeconomic, historical, etc. Sam explicitly asks Charles Murray, why do this research? And Brittany, you you keep asking and I keep saying, wait a minute. Sam Harris asked, why do this? Why do any research? No, so I want you. <laughs> Wait, a, I, <laughs> why, why, why would he ask that question? Why, why would we research anything? That, uh, blah, blah. Um, I didn't notice that. That's funny. Thank you. Um, I, I want everyone to remember that question, though. So Sam Harris asked Charles Murray, why do this research on his podcast? We're going to play an excerpt of Sam Harris after we finish with Mark. Please go listen to, to the podcast. Listen to the answer. It's there. Okay. Um, and Jesse, just one quick thing, because I know I'm running out of time. You said, oh, well, <laughs> this book was written in the 90s. Is that like ancient or something? I mean, the Origin of Species, on the Origin of Species, the book by Charles Darwin was written in the 1850s. That's still the prevailing theory. Still, still hasn't been debunked. And neither has um, the conclusions that they reached in the bell curve, as far as I know. So, anyways... Uh, again, just trying to move the conversation forward. Take care. Thank you, Mark. We listen. We do love you. We do appreciate you calling in, even though we disagree on this. Um, when people are going to study evolutionary biology, to answer your last question, um, they're not going back and reading Origin of Species. They're going to read Richard Dawkins. They're going to read other people who have done far more modern and advanced research building on the platform and the foundational research and theory that Charles Darwin made. And 1995 is ancient in in the span of science. 1995 was 12 years before the very first iPhone came out. Flip phones were the, the way of the future in 1995. 
flip actually flip phones no they were not <laughs> it was chocolate bars it was shitty giant phones that the battery way more than an, than an iPhone 8 8 plus I don't know what you're talking about. They mapped the entire human genome by like 1980, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, yes, it is ancient. It doesn't mean it doesn't discount their findings. But when people are going to research genetic differences and the heritability of 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 uh, intelligence, they're not going to go back to the the seminal work. Oh, this is the be all end all. They're going to research. They're going to study the research of new, updated researchers and scientists. Right. And while they may go back and they may cite all that old work and it may be relevant, um, but the point is, is that there's there's new stuff. Voluminous amounts. Right. So I I, I want to comment on this, though, because Richard Hayer, I believe is his name, um, he is Professor Emeritus at University of California, Irvine. He's the editor-in-chief of Intelligence, a scientific journal and author of The Neuroscience of Intelligence. And he uh, did a podcast with Jordan and B. Peterson. <laughs> and he wrote an article in this online magazine, Quellet, I think is how hmm. you say it. Okay. Um, and they post a lot of controversial essays in that um the creator of the website and magazine was also on with jordan b peterson and part of this essay um spends a significant amount of time praising uh the podcast that sam harris did with charles murray and this is a part of the podcast or this is a part of his essay he says the main thrust of the vox post that created this whole controversy Ezra with Klein. sam harris uh it was actually written by three uh people in this scientific field. Mm -hmm. It was from 2017. That's kind of what started this. It was a response to the Murray podcast. And so he says here, this is Richard Hare, the guy with all the fantastic accolades. Right. The main thrust of the Vox piece centers on whether average group differences in IQ and other cognitive test scores observed among some racial and ethnic groups have a partial genetic basis. There is not consensus on this because direct evidence from modern genetic studies of group differences is not yet available. Did, did we hear that? Read so, it again for good measure. There is not consensus on this because direct evidence from modern genetic studies, modern genetic studies of group differences is not yet available. Hmm. And he ends this talking about how he, from his perspective, quote, intelligence research is entering a golden age based on advanced DNA and neuroimaging technologies. This is hardly junk science. The term used by climate change deniers, supporters of smoking tobacco, and others to deride data for political or self-interest reasons. Let's be prepared to go where the data about intelligence takes us in this exciting field and encourage more discussions like the Harris slash Murray podcast, along with informed and respectful disagreements. End quote. So this is from someone who is supportive of the podcast, is supportive of what they said on the podcast, even emailed Sam Harris, according to this article that he wrote, and congratulated him on a successful, informative conversation. And this is his perspective. So Mark calling in and acting like this guy <laughs> who has all of this education in this field, that just seems off to me. And I guess that's kind of what I'm getting at here with Sam Harris's supporters acting as though they're in the field. 
They're in the know. Because they listen to Charles Murray and Sam Harris have a conversation. They know the latest yeah. deets and they know what's going on. So now let's get to this Sam Harris clip. And this is from his latest podcast where he announced that he was going to be doing a new podcast with Ezra Klein unedited to address all this controversy at Vox. And this really stuck out to me. And I think it will for Mark, too. Waking up with Sam Harris, number 122, Extreme Housekeeping Edition. And to reiterate something I've said a dozen times to no apparent effect, I did not have Murray on my podcast because I'm interested in racial differences, whether they're genetic or environmental. And I have actually criticized anyone who is especially interested in racial differences. And I pushed back against Murray on this point in the podcast. Why pay attention to any of this? I'm now convinced that much of the attention Murray has paid to this in the years going forward from the initial controversy around his book in 1994 is just that you have to be paying attention to this in order to defend yourself against charges of racism. I, mean, I don't want to say another word about IQ and race for the rest of my life, I can assure you. But now I'm doing this podcast, and I'm going to be doing a podcast with Ezra Klein to take his foot out of my mouth. I mean, that's what's so asymmetrical about this situation. In order to prove you're not a racist here, you have to prove that you have made a good faith interpretation of the science. And then you're talking about what he calls racialist science or race science. And you are one of these toxic people who is guilty of even paying attention to this stuff. This is a no-win situation. But I have criticized anyone who would go looking for these differences because I want to live in a post-racial society where we can forget about race entirely. That's the world I want to live in. And my criticism of identity politics is born of this same conviction. So Sam Harris sounds a lot like me <laughs> on the last podcast when I was asking Mark what's in it for him to keep talking about this yeah. difference. And again, he he didn't answer me for the second time when he had three full minutes to do so. So He still hasn't. Yeah, so, so I don't know what it is about Sam Harris followers right now that are so gung-ho on talking about the difference to an abnormal degree, um, when even Sam Harris doesn't want to talk about it, apparently, right? He's well, saying that he doesn't want to talk about if it. If you ever believe again. what he says, yeah. So you know, you know how you know how easy it is to not talk. Let, let me give. Hey, Sam Harris, here's how you do it. Are you ready? It's fantastic, huh? You just shut the fuck up and you don't talk about it. That's how you don't talk about it. You control what goes on your podcast. It's an amazing thing to not be controlled by anyone because you're a free man. Get the fuck out of here. So I think the other problem with this, and I just want to quickly touch on this, is that um, people, I think, when they hear this genetic talk, think think of like determinism. Like genes are deterministic. Right. And you have no choice in the matter. You are what you are. There's no changing it at all. Yeah, like when they hear when they hear heritable, they think immutable. And I don't think that that's that's not the case. Yeah. So so if that is something that you you're having a reaction to, I would just say that that's not true and that's that's not the case. And um, 
I, I think that's it. I think we'll leave it there. Do you think we need to talk about anything else? No. Nope. <laughs> no, I don't. But if you would like to sound off about this or anything else, let me leave the phone number. We, we do love the feedback. We do love dissent. We, 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 we love it. We, we love you guys. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone. I doubt it. At dollamore.com. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash idoubtitwithdollamore. Two new supporters. Two new, making up for the throngs that left. Jeff. <laughs> Jeff. And Leslie. Leslie. Beautiful. Thank you both so much. We appreciate the support. We appreciate you helping us move the conversation forward. Mm-hmm. Some people are a little skittish, I guess. That's, and that's okay. okay. That's okay. That is okay. It's, that's all right. It's moving forward, one foot in front of the other. Sometimes you take a couple steps back. But uh, I am committed. <laughs> to this yes we love you guys if you'd like to support the show in other ways please go rate and review the show on itunes formerly itunes now apple podcasts or stitcher wherever you get your podcasts if they let you review please do that we would we would be forever grateful you can also buy stuff on amazon using our affiliate link go to dollamore.com slash amazon and buy stuff there all right Democracy facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So Donald Trump has finally, finally said something about Stormy Daniels. This entire time he's been silent. Very uncharacteristic of Donald Trump. Well, on Air Force One today, he was asked a question about the settlement and he spoke. And there were some significant developments aboard Air Force One. The president breaking his silence on Stormy Daniels, claiming that he didn't know anything about the payment that his own lawyer made to Daniels just before the election. This is especially significant because now the president is on the record denying this if he ever has to give a deposition. Before arriving back from West Virginia tonight, President Trump, for the first time, speaking publicly about porn star Stormy Daniels. And the $130,000 in hush money his personal attorney paid her just before the 2016 election. Did you know Now that audio was fucking terrible because he's on the plane. <laughs> I had no idea it was that bad. You can kind of hear him. Yeah, he says, she asked, hey, did you know about it? No, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Well, what's going on? Well, you got to ask Michael Cohen. My, he's my lawyer. Mm-hmm. You'll have to ask him. I don't know if you know, but my attorney, his name is Michael Cohen, and you're going to have to ask him. <laughs> Again, do you want me to spell that? It's Michael M-I-C. Right. <laughs> he knows all about this yeah. stuff. I don't know anything about it. Yeah, him. yeah. He's not a big name, but he's really good. <laughs> So anyway, again, like like uh, like she said there, this is a big deal because if he ends up having to testify about this or go into deposition, 
he's he's made a public statement saying he did not know. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, that's just a development we wanted to cover. <laughs> the other stuff is kind of Russia-related. One is the fact that Roger Stone might be the linchpin here that sinks this whole ship. Uh, how shocking. Yeah. That, how that, shocking. Fucking loose cannon. Because he's so stable and even keel and rational. That it's it's come out now through interviews that have been that have been released or been found and dug up and through kind of stitching together the timeline, the tapestry of the timeline that Roger Stone is apparently psychic, that he is clairvoyant enough to have predicted the Clinton WikiLeaks disclosures. Information uncovered by CNN's K-File raises new questions about longtime Trump confidant Roger Stone and his links to WikiLeaks. On the uh, same day, he sent an email claiming he had dinner with uh, WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. Stone warned that, quote, devastating information from WikiLeaks would soon be released. He said the information involved wrongdoing by the Clinton Foundation. Stone made the comment in an August 4th 2016 interview on the InfoWars radio show. The Clinton campaign narrative that the Russians favor Donald Trump and the Russians are leaking this information, this is inoculation because, as you said earlier, they know what is coming and it is devastating. Let's remember that their defense in all of the Clinton Foundation scandals has been, not we didn't do it, has been, you have no proof. Yes, but you have no proof. Well, I think Julian Assange has that proof, and I think he's going to furnish it to the American people. That same day, a source says Stone sent an email to former Trump advisor Sam Nunberg saying he had dinner with Julian Assange the night before. Stone now says the email was sent in jest that he never met or uh, spoke with Julian Assange, our chief political analyst, Gloria <laughs> Borgers, with us, our CNN K-File senior editor, Andrew Kaczynski, broke the story for us. Uh, Andrew, what can we glean from uh, all of this about Roger Stone and WikiLeaks? So this uh, exchange with Stone and Alex Jones actually provides the earliest example of Stone claiming to know about forthcoming WikiLeaks. Uh, my team had pretty much put together this very extensive timeline uh, showing that Stone repeatedly claimed to know about WikiLeaks drops on Clinton that were going to be coming. We had previously pegged the first date he had talked about that as August 10th, when he said he had spoken to Assange. This shows him speaking about it on August 4th, nearly a week earlier, and coincidentally enough, um, the same day he sent that email claiming to have dined with Assange. Oh, look at all these weird coincidences. Unbelievable. Also, I wonder how that's going to play in court. I don't know, I was just kidding about that. I was just teasing y'all. <laughs> I was just trying to get him riled up. Unbelievable. Poor timing. So this is a this is a bummer for Roger Stone. And very well for Trump because he was still in 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 the machine of the Trump campaign. Mm-hmm. Still taking calls from Donald Trump. Still an advisor just because he wasn't formally on the campaign. That's not going to be cover enough related to the Mueller investigation. It also kind of points, this is interesting because this, obviously there's two sides to this investigation. You have your congressional investigation. One one side of the congressional investigation is a complete and utter fucking joke. And the other side has more credibility, meaning the Senate, 
They've got some decent human beings there who are acting like adults and looking into this. And then you have the house side. (laughs) And it has turned into a complete and utter partisan fucking shit show. To the point where Corey Lewandowski, who was their final witness before they closed up shop, apparently told sitting congresswoman Jackie Spear that I'm not going to answer your fucking questions. Yikes. While seated before the committee, them asking questions, he said that. We're getting a new window into the collapse of the House Intelligence Committee's Russia investigation. One of the final straws, an ugly hearing in which President Trump's former campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski, cursed out Democrats and refused to answer their questions. Our senior congressional correspondent, Manu Raju, has been digging on this. So, Manu, what are you hearing from your sources? Well, this was an investigation, Wolf, that got increasingly contentious all the way to the bitter end and culminated in this very heated interview with the former Trump campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski. And we're learning new details about that testimony where he apparently cursed at Democrats on the panel repeatedly. But after he testified, the investigation ended and left the public no closer to learning the truth of what actually happened when Russians meddled in the 2016 elections. Behind closed doors, the House Intelligence Committee's Russia investigation broke down. We are adjourned. After a bitter feud erupted with President Trump's former campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski. Sources tonight providing new details to CNN about last month's contentious hearing with Lewandowski. I've done enough. Who refused to answer a range of questions from Democrats, including communications with President Trump and what he knew about the firing of FBI Director James Comey. Lewandowski's sources say cursed multiple times at Democratic lawmakers, including Jackie Spear of California, at one point saying, I'm not going to answer your effing questions. While Democrats objected, Republicans defended Lewandowski, saying he had answered all questions relevant to the committee's investigation. Lewandowski told CNN that I had to repeat on multiple occasions that there was no collusion, cooperation or coordination because the Democrats couldn't understand my plain English way of speaking. Lewandowski was the final witness in an investigation that has ended amid deep mistrust between both parties, with Republicans concluding they found no evidence of Trump campaign collusion with Russia and Democrats charging that the GOP stifled the inquiry. How arrogant and how cocksure is Corey Lewandowski to be a former campaign manager using that kind of language and that kind of aggression while being a witness? That's question one. Question two is how toothless and cowardly are House Republicans that they allow that kind of treatment by a witness to a sitting member of Congress and they do nothing? Yeah, it's strange to me that Corey Lewandowski has gone through his entire life... Having never been punched in the fucking face? Having never (laughs) (laughs) been addressed in a way that would prevent this kind of behavior from being acceptable. Because everywhere he goes, he just is given a pass. He can... He abuses reporters, female reporters. And there's just... There's no consequences for this guy. And this is someone who desperately needs a consequence. (laughs) Yes. He definitely needs a consequence. Yes. You know what would put him? Tippy top shape. It'd make <laughs> him have some tippy top shape. He he needs tippy top shape treatment. Yeah, he does. Yeah. 
So th- those are the elements of the investigation of the House and the Senate. So what's not being run like a fucking circus is the Mueller team. New information that the Mueller team is actually stopping Russian oligarchs at the airport upon entry into the United States. And I think it'll eventually bleed into um, entry into our allies' states Mm -hmm. and asking them questions. This tells me they're doing the due diligence. They're doing the work they need to do to talk to whomever they need to talk to and get the deets. You know, I love that I... I think I follow Merriam-Webster on Twitter, and they always post words that are trending when something goes viral, and oligarch was trending Yeah. this morning, and I was wondering why. And Now we know. Yeah, now we know. CNN Prime and Justice reporter Shimon Prokopez and CNN's Kara Scannell, they are standing by. Uh, Shimon, first of all, what are you learning? Oh, that's right, Wolf. We've learned that Mueller and his team have really intensified their focus into the potential flow of money from Russia into the 2016 presidential election and whether the Trump campaign colluded with Russia. Uh, now, we know that investigators have recently targeted at least three oligarchs. And the sources tell us uh, that the FBI stopped one of them as he landed in his private jet at an airport in New York. Uh, they questioned him and even used search warrants to search his electronic devices. And then investigators, where we've also learned, stopped a second Russian oligarch who also recently was traveling here to the U.S. and questioned him as well. And Mueller has also asked a third Russian oligarch to voluntarily hand over some documents. And Wolf, uh, some of these people who have voluntarily handed over documents, we're told, have basically had no choice uh, in that because some of them are doing business here in the U.S. They have been forced to cooperate with the special counsel. Very interesting, Carol. We know it's illegal for foreign nationals to give money to U.S. uh, political campaigns. So how potentially could some of these Russian oligarchs get around that? So one area under scrutiny that sources tell us Mueller's team is focusing on is that they're looking at any investments that these oligarchs made in U.S. companies or in think tanks that have these political action committees that then donated to the Trump campaign and to the inauguration fund. Another area of scrutiny that we understand Mueller's team is asking questions about are whether Russians use straw donors or Americans who can legally donate into campaigns uh, to avoid this issue that prohibits Russians from donating directly into the U.S. campaign. So these straw donors, the money would be funneled to them uh, first, and then they would make the political contributions, which would be legal from them, although the question is, how did they get the money? Uh, Mueller's approach uh, in wanting to question these Russian oligarchs, what does that say to you about his investigation right now? And this is all recent. Right. A lot of these approaches occurred in the last month, we understand. And uh, what, but what our sources are telling us is that they believe that this could be sort of the wish list. Mueller's team has already reviewed documents that they have easy access to here in the U.S. because they have jurisdiction over it, but that they might be trying to get information from the Russians in the hopes that they will provide it voluntarily. Now, we also know that a lot of these stops, at least the ones at the airport, are relatively aggressive. And um, experts we've talked to say prosecutors are doing that for the element of surprise to try to catch these oligarchs off guard, hoping they'll be more honest and truthful, and also gaining access to their phones before they can wipe them clean of any potential evidence. Very interesting indeed. Uh, Do we know, Shimon, if Mueller is interested in these oligarchs potentially as witnesses or 
Could they down the road be charged with an actual crime? Right. So certainly right now, based on Kara and uh, my reporting, uh, there is every belief that they are being sought for as witnesses. They want to know uh, how some of this money was moving around. There seems to be some indication, uh, at least for, towards the special counsel uh, as part of their investigation, that uh, they have raised concern whether money was being uh, handed to U.S. citizens to donate into the campaign, maybe the inauguration as well. Uh, but everything that we know right now certainly points to that they're being asked to come in as witnesses. Here's why this is a big deal. One, it shows that Robert Mueller is going to extraordinary lengths to conduct this investigation. Two, they're not just taking a wild stab in the dark that there was Russian money in the presidential election supporting Donald Trump. They have some evidence that led them to this. Mm-hmm. They're questioning because they either know about it already mm-hmm. and they're setting their ducks in a row or they have credible intelligence leading them in that direction. Right. It's huge. If there was Russian money financing Donald Trump's campaign. Anyway, we're we're going to we're going to follow it. Um I am the 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 least we hear the more quiet that things get mm-hmm. the more excited i get and things have felt quiet lately yeah mm-hmm. because it means shit is coming around which is good yeah and you should be very very pleased mhm It's the asshole of today. Donald Trump Jr. <laughs> of course, Donald Trump Jr. <laughs> so the Huffington Post found this segment from the Adam Carolla show in 2007 when he had his L.A. radio show with Danny Bonaducci and Teresa something. Strasser. Oh, wow. Look at that. And I found this exchange interesting because... It, it involves Donald Trump's penis. Oh, so very Trumpian. Well, and Donald Trump Jr.'s penis, both both peni. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> so hang on. So, all right, proceed. Okay. I'm going to have to process So, here. well, they were playing like a game, like a fun little radio game. And one question that he was asked, I got one question, Donald Jr. When you and your pops are in the shower, who's got the bigger package? You know what I'm saying. And he said, you know, and I think I will get fired for this, but I'm never going to say that I don't. I will get fired for that. By the way, they're both pretty substantial, I think. <laughs> so he's he's saying he has a bigger dick than Donald Trump, mm-hmm. but that both of their dicks yes. are substantial. Right. What is with this family? What is with this family talking about sex related to one another well here's the interesting thing is even though this is like a fun little radio show game this isn't a fun like this isn't a question that would be asked of everyone this is a question that would land with only particular characters and particular kinds of people yeah and donald trump jr is obviously the type of person that they felt would engage with a question about whose penis is bigger your dad's or yours you know who uh who, who there's no audio of asking, hey, whose dick is bigger? Jeb Bush. Yeah. <laughs> there's no, hey, uh, 
Well, you're taking a shower with your dad, with yeah. your pops there. Yeah. George H. W. Bush, whose cock is bigger? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> that, it's just weird, man. Well, and it's weird that he would engage it, engage the question. But this is the kind of people they are. Hey, Chelsea Clinton, listen. Who snooch is tighter? <laughs> Yours or Hillary's? Oh, Jesus. Yeah. How ridiculous would the, there would never ever be an occasion? Yeah, where yeah. where Chelsea Clinton is asked something sexual in a manner that would compare her to her mother. Well, even sexual period. Well, and for for people who might be listening to this saying, well, you're comparing a 2007 Don Jr. to these political royalty families that are whatever. But Donald Trump was on a debate stage when he talked about the size of his penis. So this isn't, it, it doesn't matter. This is who they are. And even though he's the president of the United States, or even when he was very close to being the president of the United States, he still felt it was very important to ensure everyone that he has a large penis. Tippy top shape. Goddamn. Thanks for that, Brittany. That is uh, some good imagery to go out of, so the, pretty substantial. out of the episode with. The Trump situation. Substantial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> substantial. Oh, my God. All right, we're going to end it there. I can't do it. We love you guys. We we appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in twice a week or as often as you do. We would love to have your support on Patreon, helping us move the conversation episode by episode. Go to dollamore.com slash Patreon. You can also just go to dollamore.com on the left-hand side of the page. There's all kinds of ways to support the show. Cryptocurrency, Amazon, PayPal. Rate and review, all of it is good. We'd love to hear from you too. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email that voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We are going to see you next time. We love you guys. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. Just got to switch out a hand mode to vagina mode. Then you're good. Problem solved. <laughs>